This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. One announcement I do have to make. Um, there's a new feature on a Torah Anytime that you can now slow down the video or speed it up. So, uh, you know, as everyone knows, I get com- my most common complaint is I speak too fast. So, um, one thing that you could do now is you could actually slow it down on Torah Anytime. If and you don't speak fast enough, you could even speed it up also. So you could finish uh, double the amount and half the amount of time. Okay, so uh, this week's topic is extremely, extremely important because it speaks about the ability to change yourself. Uh, there are many people... I would venture to say almost everybody wants to change themselves. They want to become better people. They want to be a better spouse. They want to be a better Jew. They want to be, you know, a better child. They want to be a better father. They want to be a better partner. There's everything in life that we want to change and we want to become better. The question that arises is that even though we want it, and even though we say we do it, we want it, uh, we never actually change. And that is the title, you know, I... Say I will change, I want to change, but I never change. Now the question that we're going to be dealing with is where is that disconnect? Why can't we start off with the change? I want to change, I know I want to change, I say I want to change, but how come I cannot change? The uh, very common time that this actually comes into play is, well, in the secular world, is the New Year's resolution. Coming at the end of December, the beginning of January, people want to go and make New Year's resolutions so they they feel better about themselves. There was a study done uh, by Dr. John Norcross, uh, and it was published in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, that the majority of people, first of all, they go on to discuss what do people actually want to change when it comes the, to the new year. Uh, so he says that the most common one is weight loss, which is very common. Another one is exercise, fairly correlated to weight loss. Stopping smoking, making better uh, money decisions, and ha- doing more exciting things. Those are like basically the top five things that people want to change. And that is obviously in the secular world in the um, you know coming uh, December and New Year's. The study shows, though, that how long do people... So let's say somebody wants to lose weight. How long does that last? Generally, about two weeks. Two weeks, and that's it. That, and I think that's even being generous. I know people that they just say it. They don't even start doing anything. They just say, this is my New Year's resolution, but they don't actually put into it. But two, year, two weeks is a very uh, you know, conservative number, I guess you can say. And, but, but if you think about that, that means that we don't control ourselves. We, we say what we want. We know what we want, but we can't accomplish it. So it is interesting when you look at the flip side, when you look at the Jewish New Year. So it's coming up, what do people want to change? Generally, you don't come into Hashanah thinking, you know what? I want to exercise more this year. I want to make better money decisions. It's usually, it's on the flip side. It's, it's, I want to be a better person. I want to be less angry. I want to do more mitzvot. I want to get closer to God. I want to do more chesed. I want to be a better spouse. I want to be a better child. Whatever it is, it's something that's interpersonal. Now, when I was looking at these side by side, I'm like, look at the difference between the Jewish New Year and the non-Jewish New Year. The Jewish New Year, we're focusing on bettering ourselves and bettering our interpersonal relationships. The non-Jewish New Year, all we focus about is just ourselves. How do I make myself love myself more? How do I make myself enjoy myself more? I want to exercise. I want to look better. I want to be, I want to spend my money more wisely. So it's very interesting when you focus. The Jewish focus is becoming a better person. The non-Jewish focus is loving me more, I guess you could say. So this, you know, even though we're calling a New Year's resolution, it's really not. It's really called chuba, which you can't even, it's not even correlated. I mean, it's the same road, I guess, but it's not really correlated. And uh, this chuba, New Year's resolution, is it a requirement to do New Year's resolution? No. You do whatever you want. And you, you, you want to do New Year's resolution, you do it. You don't want it, you don't do it. 
But tshuva is a requirement. In fact, it's a biblical command. And Rabbi Yona brings down that this is, if you look at the Vayikra in uh, Leviticus, chapter 16, verse 30, it says, There is a biblical commandment that you are required to do tshuva, which means that you are required to make New Year's resolutions. Again, bad terminology phrase, but if we can use that, you are required to do it in the Jewish law. So, let's try to discuss why is it, and by the way, this works both for the Jewish and the non-Jewish, that not always do we tend to stick in it. And if you, if you look at it, you know, as you get older, you get to see people that you grew up with. And, you know, I remember people, you know, that I was growing up with, let's say, for example, they were very angry. They stayed angry throughout till I know them right now. There are some people that chase desires with all their might. They still chase desires with all their might now. They're married with kids, but they still have the same temptation and nothing has changed. There are people that are lazy, still lazy. There are people that are, you know... Um, very stingy, still very stingy. Generally, people don't change. We always stay in more or less the same cycle that we are in life. That's not a, that's not a, uh, you know, 100% statistics. Obviously, we have many people that change, but we are going to focus on why is it that you can't change. So let's go through some reasons why people cannot change, and if we figure out, pinpoint the reasons, maybe we'll be able to go on the flip side and try to work the other way around and focus on how we can actually stick to the change. So, number one is that the reason why people don't change is because the People say, I want to change because that's what everyone says. They come to you, what's your New Year's resolution? Oh, I want to lose weight. Uh, what's your resolution? Oh, I also want to lose weight. Meanwhile, you, you know, you weigh a buck twenty and you're six feet tall and they're like, which way are you going to lose from? Everyone says that I want to be part of it also. So just by saying something doesn't actually put it into fruition and it doesn't actually, you know, change anything. You know, people want to say, you know, they speak to a woman, you know, so what's one of your things they want to change? I want to become more modest. That's very nice. But nothing ever happens from it. Why did she do that? Because she knows that's the right thing to say. A guy, I want to put on tefillin every single day. I want to go to minyan. I want to make sure that I learn an hour every single day. So they just say it because this is the things that everyone says. But by just saying it doesn't change anything. That's number one. Number two is people say things. They make resolutions. They make the changes because they want to get other people off their backs. I'll give you an example. I was dealing with this about a year and a half ago. Um, it was... About 1.30 a.m., I was dealing with a heroin addict, and it was me, him, his family, and a very close friend, friend of his. And we were talking about him and saying, you know, like, you know, he, he, you know, he obviously saying what anybody would say to a heroin addict, stop what you're doing, you're going to kill yourself. And we're trying to convince him to stop doing what he's doing and go put himself into rehab, change it. So he presents his, his situation. He's like, no. He's like, Rabbi, I do want to change. I really want to change. I really want to stop. And, he's, and then he goes, this guy's not religious, but then he starts throwing out all these Jewish words at me. He says, I have a munah, I have faith, and I have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he's going to help me. He's going to help me change. I know I want to change. I'm going to change. I'm like, that's beautiful. Let's change. I said, uh, um, we'll go right now. His friend offered it. We're sitting all together. It was 1.30 a.m. I still remember it vividly. He says, you, you offer a change? Right now, I'm going to go. I'm going to drive you, and I'm going to drop you off in rehab. I'll put you up right now. We'll drop you off in rehab. So... He says, listen, you know, I want to go, I want to go to rehab, but I have to do some research, I have to do this, and I have, you know, I have to go back. And I, I told him right away, I'm like, you're not changing. You're not getting off the, this thing. And then, you know, I said, if you want to change, it has to happen when not. When do you want to change? You know what he told me? I, I can't, I still can't believe it. I want to change in three weeks. I, I want to stop doing it in three weeks. Like, what, what is the three weeks? That means you don't want to change. If you want to change, you would actually do it. But rather, why is he saying that he wants to change? Because his family is there. He's sitting in front of me. He's sitting in front of his, his close friend. He knows everybody wants him to say that. So he says that also. 
So that's another reason why people don't change, because they don't really mean it. They're just saying it because that's what other people want to say. I'll give you another example is college. There are some people that go to college. Why? To tell other people that they're in college. Not because they're doing... Uh, give you what an, are you studying for? Yeah. <laughs> this is the best one. What are you studying for? Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, liberal, arts. liberal arts. Liberal arts. What are you going to do with liberal arts? Okay. No, you can teach liberal arts. Like, you know, go study sociology. What do you do with sociology degree? Nothing. You'll be able to teach sociology. That's as much as you, as you can do. Important why you want to change, no? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get there. So we're going to get to, into into that part also. Uh, there's also there are some people that uh, their family has a lot of money and they're going to the family business. Like why are you in why are you why are you, why are you in college for? No education. They're there for a, you know, I don't know. You're looking at one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for three years. Why to get education? Like, I'm like, this is not, this is not the reason you're going into the family business. Whatever the family business is, you don't need this information. Why are you wasting time? Oh no, come on. If I tell everybody that I went to Harvard, I went to Yale, I went to Princeton, it's a good thing. You know, it's a very, it's a very nice. True. It's true. But you're supposed to go to college if you need it. If you don't need it, then there's no reason for it. And, and people, I know people go through all these things and they pay their way through it. They're not even, they're doing it because they want to say that they did it. If you're doing it based off that, Sometimes it will last, sometimes it doesn't. And that's why I know. I know there's, there's, for example, wealthy kids. They go into college. They start it off because they say that they're in college. A year or two, they realize how hard it is. They're going to daddy's business. Anyways, they're like, you know what? Forget about it. Let me go into the business. What do I need this headache for? And they just go into the business. Make some money. Drive a nice car already. Why worry about the, you know, taking exams? Uh, so you see over here that if you're changing it, if you're changing yourself, not because of you, because of somebody else, because this is what other people, you know, to get other people off your back for whatever reason, this is another perfect example is people go to college because they're not doing anything with their life. So now this way they could say, listen, I go to college to so stop bothering me. This is not something that's going to change. The next reason, which is super, this is one of the most important ones, is that there is people, and this is reason number three, there's a, you know, they don't think that God really cares what they do. They don't think that God really cares that they're doing something wrong. You know, like, uh, um, there's the, somebody, unfortunately, that passed away, a very close friend of a group of people, and they don't think, that, you know, like, God, and, and this is what they tell me, God didn't, you know, take my friend away because I wasn't dressing modestly. God didn't take my friend away because I wasn't, you know, watching my eyes and I was doing sins with uh, whatever. They don't, they don't put in disconnect. And granted, you know, his death is not related to your sins, but everything is correlated. There is a very, very large disconnect between the spiritual world and the physical world in people's minds. And that's not true. The spiritual world is very, very strongly connected to the physical world. And, and it's, it's, it's connected with a glue. Everything that happens here happens there. If you're doing something wrong, there is a physical manifestation to that sin as well. So they, they feel like there's a disconnect to things. So this is more of a, a, a lack of emunah, they lack of, of, of belief that God actually foresees everything that happens and He's doing something because of something else that you did. Everything is correlated into a web of different actions. But this is very important because if, if you know somebody that passed away, there's a young person passed away, and you knew that you are close to it and you are affected by it, there's a reason why that person passed away, not because of whatever they did, he or she did, but also because of what, you know, there's, there, you're getting suffering now. You're getting suffering. You lost a friend. You lost a family member. You lost something. So this is a reason why you're getting that. And you have to realize, why am I getting this? There is a reason. There has to be a connection. I'll give you, an, a, you know, even a better example. The Vilna Gohan says, one of the most important things that we are here in this world for is to correct our character traits. You're an angry person. You have a very, very strong obligation to fix that. We, uh, like your character traits. So anger, laziness, uh, whatever, anything that's, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, jealousy, anything that's character trait. People don't even realize this is something that they have to do chuvan. People think, you know what I have to do chuvan? 
took money for when I wasn't supposed to. I maybe did a sin, a certain a sin. But nobody actually thinks, okay, if I'm an angry person, I have to do tshuva. If I'm a lazy person, I have to. You have to fix that. You don't fix that. Why? Because you don't feel like this is. What, what does one thing have to do with another? You don't correlate one with another, which is a very, very terrible, terrible, uh, uh, you know, you know, ideology. The we have to realize there is a connection. There's a connection between every single thing that we do. This, you know, and we see this by God sends us signs. We get signs constantly. This is a, um, you know, daily basis, God is sending you signs. You just have to be, your, your eyes have to be open to be able to perceive these signs. I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, you know, some are obviously more subtle than others. But uh, let's say you're wasting your life, you're scrolling, you're, you're on the internet, and you're on uh, YouTube. And you're going through YouTube, and uh, you decide uh, you're watching whatever godforsaken waste of time that you're watching. doesn't matter. And then there is that, that um, videos that are suggested on the side. Uh, I don't know. You, you might like videos or suggested videos. Recommended. recommended videos. Thank you. So put recommended videos on the side. The sec- so let's say it comes up, a shul Torah. It comes up after the day. And then you think for a second, says, you know what? I haven't heard a shul Torah in a while. Maybe I should watch this class. And you know what? You even go and you click it. You even go and you, you, you click it. And these, by the way, these little signs are all, you know, these, everything is ordained from, from, you know, from, from up above. You have to be more perceptive there. I'm not saying that you should go on YouTube and look for God's signs on YouTube, but just think of it as, a, you know, as just an, an idea. The, so you go and you start watching this Shiutwa. What happens, this is, you know, how you could tell if somebody has ADD. And really this is not a good, you know, example because everybody, from my understanding, does it. The second that you put a video already on YouTube, you're already watching what you're going to watch next. You don't even start this one, you're already looking at what you're watching. So you put a Shiutwa, you get 4.5 seconds inside of this, of this Shiutwa, and then something else pops up. I bet you can't, uh, you're not going to laugh challenge, whatever those things are called. And you're sitting this Shiutwa and you're like, oh come on, they never got me yet. You know what? Challenge accepted. And that's it. You're already, you're already lost it. You know, and then what happens when you're watching that uh, piece of waste of time? Then there's something else that's going to pop up. Ten ways that you've been putting on lipstick wrong. Be like, I'm a man, but I need to know this. And you feel like this is knowledge. And you go and you go and you start watching this. People are so, by the way, the world today is so involved in videos. The, the, um, the whole experience, anything technolo- technology that we buy, is surrounded about video, the good audio, the good sound, the good quality of the of the screen. Everything that I buy, anything from a phone to um, you know computer to whatever a monitor, anything that you buy is all related toward that. And you look at it; it's really crazy how everybody is so involved. I, I think I mentioned this on Shabbat once. I uh, I walk out, I walk into the bathroom and I see a guy watching a video as he's what I'm like. You're here for. 14 to 20 seconds, you know, like, uh, you know, if it's a little bit older, maybe 35 seconds. But whatever it is, you're not here for a long time. You cannot pause the video for 35 seconds. And I, you know, this is what I said also on Shabbat. I'm like, what can you get in the first, the first 20 seconds of every YouTube video ever created is what? Thank you for watching this video. Please like and subscribe. Please comment below, share, whatever, all these things. By the time you finish that, already you finish going to the bathroom and you come out. I, I went to, I, you know, I see this not once. I see this multiple times. People are in the supermarket. I saw this woman in the supermarket. She was shopping while watching a video. She was, I'm like, what? I'm like, and she was like, it was so important to her that it was like she was watching it and then it was like, you know, and right back to it, toward it. And put it. Recipe. It wasn't a recipe. I don't know. Recipe you don't need to watch. You just read the recipe. This is a, a maybe. A, who knows what's going on? But this is not it. You know, you see people. They don't stop. Um, first, I'm wondering. I'm like, where, how do people have battery lights for all these things? Because so it's nonstop. They're just watching videos as they're walking in the street. They're watching a video as they're sitting on the train. They're watching a video. You, you, you know, you don't. You, you never with your own you, with your own mind. 
You know, it's a, it's a shame. Anyways, you go, let's say, for example, another sign. You're on Facebook, God forsaken, any other social media that you waste your time in. And you're on uh, the social media, and you're scrolling down, and a shield to pops up, right? Maybe you, you have one friend that's a rabbi or somebody who cares about Judaism, and he shares everything or every so often wants with you. So, a shield to pops up. So, you go over there and be like, you know what? Maybe I should watch it. You know, it's, you're getting signs. Like maybe you should start learning to lot. Maybe you should start doing anything. But then you start thinking, you know what? I haven't stalked this person in a really long time. I really want to see if they're married yet. Or let's see, you know, let, did they get a new car? Like, I heard they got a new car. You, you know, we, this is, and, you know, you're all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're stalker 101, and you're going and looking into other people's lives for the next, you know, hour and a half. And then you come out feeling, you know, like a piece of two cents. Be like, this guy has a picture with a Lamborghini and a Bugatti, you know, while, you know, flying in this pri- private jet. And you have pictures of you and your wife eating dinner and taking pictures of the food. And you're like, look everybody, look what I eat. It's spaghetti with meatballs, you know, from this fancy place. Isn't it look delicious? This is something I don't understand. I, I'm going to get in a way tangent, so I'm going to stop myself before. I don't understand why people take pictures of food. I, you know, it's like, uh, whatever. I, 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 even, I can't even begin. I don't know. Anyways, moving forward. Next thing, that reason why you, uh, you know, things that you say you want to change, but it doesn't actually change, is people don't believe they're doing anything wrong. If you don't believe you're doing anything wrong, why would you change? There's no reason for you to change. I get, you know what's one of the most common things that people tell me they can't come to class? Um, and, I, you know, I say this, I don't mean to call out the Russian community, but I don't know what is it with Russians and birthdays. It's like, this is Yom Kippur, uh, it's like the holiest of the holiest uh, is, is a birthday. I, you know, like, I asked somebody once, he used to come all the, you know, constantly to the class, why don't you come? I had like two birthdays in a row. I'm like, I, I, I really don't understand. I'm like, I'm like, first of all, what is this person celebrating so much? You know, the person that he, I'm like, you're most likely a failure as a person. You know, not to push it down. Like, what have you accomplished in your 25 years of existence? You're not religious. You don't listen to God. You're not, you, you said you smoke pile that you do. I don't know whatever. If you want to say, fine. You're a good person. You know, you learn to lie. You're a religious person. You're, you, you contribute to society. You're actually doing something good. You want to celebrate. Okay, fine. At least you have something to celebrate. But the people that take it so seriously, and again, I don't mean to call anybody out, chas shalom, um, if you're very into your birthdays, you know, do whatever you got to do. But I'm like, celebrate something that's worth celebrating for. Become a better person and then celebrate your birthday. Then celebrate, uh, you know, the, that, uh, you know, you're one day closer to death or whatever it is that you, uh, I think, it, not to bash people with their birthdays, but I really, it's something I don't understand. And, and people justify it. They're like, no, I don't have to go learn Torah because there's a birthday. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, birthday. Oh, we understand. Like, birthday or funeral, what's more important? Like, probably birthday. You know, like, birthday is like, it, it goes crazy. I, I really don't understand it. I'll tell you how much. I actually got this question, and I did not understand the question. Somebody came over to me, and he said, listen, he says, um, there's a, I have a family birthday, uh, and it's on Shabbat. And, I, you know, it's going to cause so much family friction if I don't go to this birthday. I need to go to this birthday. Am I allowed to go to this birthday? It's obviously, you know, it was going to be a violation of Shabbat if he goes. And I'm like... I, I don't understand the question. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, it's going to be like haywire, the whole fa- family dynamics. It's like, if I don't go to this birthday, and let, where do I find out where is this birthday taking place? It's taking place in a club. I'm like, how is this a question? Like, what, like, what do you expect me to say? Be like, yes, it's okay. Go, because it's better to not to make your sister upset then make God upset, or make, don't listen to, don't worry about God, he's gonna take, he's gonna understand that your sister really needs you over there, you know, drinking tequila with all the goyim on a Friday night. This is really more, like we're, and this is a real, why is this a real question? Because they're, they're, in their mind, it's, it's a real big issue. It's a big issue. Now, if it's somebody who doesn't, has never kept Shabbat and before, and this is like somebody, then I understand, okay, you don't really understand the value of Shabbat. This is somebody who's been keeping Shabbat, I'm like, we're, what's going on? 
Like, I don't understand. Like, and if you think it happened once to one person, no, it, this is this question has come to me multiple times, and I, I really don't. Something with birthdays, I wish somebody could explain it, but whatever it is. Anyways, I give you another example. Um, you know, the, the you know people have the hard day. They work hard. Right? We all do. We all work. You know, we're all you know stressed out of that. You need some time to relax. Understood. Then what happens? But then you go and uh, um, you know you come home. I ask them, what time do you come home? Six, seven. You call. I'm like, what's Come to Shul to 8 to 9, and then you go anyway, you hang out till 12 o'clock. Why do you need to hang out from 6 till 12? What are you going to do for all those hours? And people actually think, no, it's okay, I don't, they, they don't feel that they're doing anything wrong. If you don't feel like you're doing anything wrong, you won't change. Why would you change? You th- why do I, I don't need to go to Shulta, I need to relax and it's okay. If you think that's fine, then you're not going to change. You have to realize, an, an hour, you can't, and I guarantee you, this is a guarantee, you start learning at least an hour a day, your day is going to be less stressful. You're going to feel, be more connected to God. You'll be able to accomplish a lot more. You won't need that six hours of stress release that you need every single, uh, every single night. And this is something I've spoken about before. It's so it, it's something that it's comical to me. It's it's almost like, it, you know, it's just completely related to guys. For, for girls, it doesn't even like look at guys when they get a new car and how they hang out. It's it's something that I I It's like I'm watching a History Channel. It's like I'm watching you know you know animals in their habitat. You know, it's like I need that Australian guy. But like right now we see over here, there's a bunch of guys got new wheels, and you know, like it's literally. I'm like they're looking at the car. They what this is this is picture the scenario. The car is on, the lights on, everything is on, the windows are down, uh, there's probably some music playing in the background, and they're just standing outside looking at the car. And they just like, you know, they don't say anything, like in a daze, they look at the tires, you know, and then they, one of them says, you know, pop the hood, as if he knows what anything is. You know, and he pops the hood, and be like, yep, you got the good battery here. I'm like, this is where the oil goes, um, oh, you got like six pipes coming out of this. That means you have a V6. Uh, you know, like, and then, you know, generally people don't know anything about cars. You know who knows about cars? The people are, that are car lovers and the mechanics. Everybody else is more like, you could come to your mechanic and the mechanic says, yeah, listen, I had to put some, uh, you know, fluid in your seats, in your steering wheel, in your engine, and uh, the windshield wiper fluid was gone. It was like the whole car was like, you know, it was dehydrated. We had to just like fluid everything up. And you'd be like, you know, I, I guess I, yeah, I need it. And then I was like, yeah. Um, and then we had a mythical creature living inside one of your exhaust pipes we had to take care of that and be like, did you just say there was a mythical creature and be like you don't you understand it's a, it's a car talk, whatever it's car lingo we needed to take care of that we had to remove your exhaust from the left to the right and then we had to move it back to the right because we couldn't figure out where the wiring was we switched the tires all over the place just so they could get an alignment the brakes were all rotated and then were, were changed and then of course we had to put the fluid in the brakes because we can't do that anyways here's the bill $5,000 and you're there scratching your head and be like did I really need all this do you want an accident he says, well, God forbid, you know what's going to happen? But I, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah okay, fine. You're going to... Anyway, so you, basically no one knows anything about cars. You sit in front of a car for, for like 20 minutes. You're just staring at it. Usually you're smoking also. So you're smoking and you're looking at it. Sometimes you kick the tire a little bit to see how strong it is. And then you walk around to see the other side and be like, yeah, these are good. These are LEDs. So LEDs, you're not going to have to change them forever. You know, and then you walk around not knowing anything. I, I, I once saw this. I actually, you know, and it, w- it was an interesting scenario because they were all very quiet just looking at the car. And I'm like, you know, I was like, hey guys, what's up? And it's as if they got up from the days. They were like, what? Reality? Like, what? There's, there's people here? And like, they get so involved in complete waste of time. Like, what are you, like, how was that relaxing? How was that relaxing? You walk, you know who's relaxing for? The guy who owned the car. So he feels good. Everyone's okay. So I'd be like, wow, it's so shiny. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it sparkles. You know, like, what are we, girls? You know, again, no. all right, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I was really digging myself into things. All right, well, let's be honest, right? Everyone likes shiny things. Certain genders like shiny things more than other uh, genders. Um, 
Not that there's anything bad. It works for the men. Why? You see, like, I ha- once I'm in, I just have to go all the way. Um, it, it, because, you know, in case you mess up, you just buy a shiny object. It's actually mm-hmm. costs you a pretty penny, but at least it makes, a, it makes up for it. All right. Again, not across the board. Let's move on. I think I've dug myself into enough hole. Yeah, I, they lost me already. There, I've like I've been too far inside. Very good. Me two years that you you always off the subject. It's not always a bad thing to go off topic because I'll tell you why. Yeah, I'll tell you why. No, because. Because I, I used to, the way that I used to give a class, I used to prepare the class, I would do one page and then forget about it. The rest of the class, I, would, I didn't even know how I got to where I got to. But it's not always bad. Why? Because people could, could you know, stick along with it. They, they're able to stick along with it. It keeps them interested and keep them, it keeps them connected. Over here, you know, you're right. I do it. So it works both ways. Um, but generally, now we're going back to the topic. So we're working on ourselves. Okay. I'll give you furthermore an example um, that uh, people, you know, they, they say, for example, I don't keep, I don't keep Shabbat, but I don't work on Shabbat. And they justify that that's good enough. And I'm like, that's better than not, but don't fool yourself into thinking that's good enough. This is something that I get all, you know, all the time. I keep kosher in my house. I'm like, God exists outside your house also. Like, what do you tell me only inside your house? And they're like, no, you know, listen, if I go to a non-kosher restaurant, I'll eat fish or salad. Because all fish is kosher and all salad is kosher. I'm like, where are you getting your information from? Like, who is delivering this information for you? Fish is not all kosher. He's like, oh, what are you talking about? All fish is kosher. It doesn't have to, there's no, uh, I'm like, no, no, what? Where? Yeah, fish has to be kosher. Salad. I tell you, I'm like, you know, I, there, if you go on tour anytime, you go to, um, uh, Rabbi Shaitahan did a video on finding bugs in water. Um, you know, and, and you look at, you look at the video over there, you see regular tap water, New York City tap water, he opened it up, put a filter inside over there, went under the microscope, you see actual, lo- you know, bugs. It was actually dead at that point in time from the, or one of the one of the chemicals that are in the water that actually killed them. But you see a, a dead bug in the in the water over there, and I saw it under the microscope. It has you know the tentacles, the you know the legs, you know all that stuff. That's what exists in water. This is by the way where we should you know also make sure you drink filtered water. You know what exists in salad? Salad there is none. There's so much bugs over there. Yeah, you pay a little bit more for a kosher for a kosher salad. You want to know why? Because you have a guy sitting there and checking every single leaf, making sure and cleaning everything that there's no bugs in it. Who would want to eat a bug? Even if you can't see it, you want to eat a bug? This is disgusting. You don't want to have any part of that. So, to think of any salad, what, what do they do in restaurants? No matter how high class a restaurant is, they'll rinse out the stuff. They won't do any checking. They won't look and see if there's any bugs. There has to be, and besides that, who knows what other dressings they put inside that that's not kosher, what other utensils they use that's not kosher. Fish has to obviously be kosher, has to have the, you know, fins and scales. We you know that there's different signs for everything and it needs to be kosher. This is a requirement, but people convince themselves, no, it's okay. I'm okay for X, Y, and Z of what the reason that I'm doing, I'm doing it. This is something also that I get. I don't know why I get it so often. Do you have to do tshuva on insurance fraud? I'm like, why is this a question? I don't, I really don't understand. But like, no, because, and they, they explained it. No, they have, they have understand it. No, they're like, listen. You know, all of a sudden they learn Gemara, so they start, like, let me explain it to you. This is the situation. You see, it's a large corporation. And when they pay, take out a product or insurance, you know, insurance thing, they know that people are going to, you know, you know, go around the system. And they include it already in the price. So what's the difference if I do it or somebody else do it? it it's already included. So is it really stealing? They know I was going to do it. They're not, whatever, you know, it's okay. Like, it's not really stealing. Like, they convince themselves that they, they're okay. And that's why, of course you have to do chuba. You have to go and return the money. What do you mean? How you, you know, I mean, go speak to your local Orthodox rabbi. And if he tells you it's okay, then go find another local Orthodox rabbi. And that can tell you possibly what you can do. There's obviously, there's, there's certain things that you are able to do and certain things that you're not able to do. And so sometimes you have to actually go and you're not able to return the objects or you return some money to the community. Depending, you obviously speak to your 
local Orthodox rabbi that's Orthodox and he's a rabbi, and he'll be able to guide you through it. But to think that you don't have to do Chavon these things, where do you get these things from? People convince themselves that they're right, that they don't have to change, and if you don't think that you have to change, then guess what? You won't change. That's as simple as that. Uh, you know, people, I can't come learn because of business. I can't come to pray because of the business. I can't spend time with my family because of the business. Um, so what are you showing God? You're showing God like, God, don't worry about it. I got this business. I don't need to do any of your stuff. You leave that. God says, okay, fine. You don't want me involved? Go ahead. Let's see how successful you are. You leave me out. I leave you out. Let's see how... Are you kidding me? The only way that we could get money is only from, from God. In fact, I, I, I've asked this before. I've asked this to uh, wealthy um, people that are very close to the wealthy people. So like they do business with them and they know how they made their money. And I ask them, you know, this is a common question. It's one of the things that I ask. How do they make their money? And they say how they made the money, whatever reason I think is. And then my follow-up question is that is, are they a genius in business? Are they really business savvy? Or were they just in the right place in the right time? Are they, or, you know, was luck a fact over here? Nine out of ten times is what I'm going to say, but I'm going to be conservative, let's say 50% of the time. 50% of the time, you know what I get? No, they just happen to be in the right time, the right business, they married into money, they got into this, and they got into, you know, something that blew up when it got blown up, and that's how they made their money. I'm like, so you see over here, this is, this is, you know, again and again, you ask even, if I'm not mistaken, I think I said this before, I, you know, and I've yet to actually look it up, but I've heard this, that uh, Mark Cuban, he's a uh, billionaire, and they asked him, and I may, I may be wrong with this, I, you know, I've, I've heard this, I haven't seen it inside. He said, uh, would you be able to be a billionaire again? And he says, a billionaire, I don't know, because it was all luck, uh, but a millionaire probably, yeah. He says, so even he, you know, and, and generally, you know, you, these people are, you know, I'm not saying him, I don't know him personally, but, you know, have a lot of gava, have a lot of arrogance that, that they made their money and stuff. But if he is able to say that I know that there was a lot of a luck that played into it, so what do you think that you're better and then you don't think you need God's help? And it's really, it's not all luck, it's all from God. You know, everything is from God. So if you want to do something and you think you're okay, you don't come to Shul Torah. Why? Because... You're working. Why? Because you're, you don't have to see time with your family because you have to work. You really think that's what God wants? You really think that's what God really desires? So, the, um, obviously you have to work. I don't, this shouldn't be an excuse for people to be like, alright, let me sit home all day, let me spend time with my family, we'll go to Disneyland, we'll have a good time, and uh, you know, I'll see Tehillim once or twice a day, and then, uh, you know, you know, everything will be okay. Obviously you have to do what you have to do. But uh, uh, the, the important aspect of it, and this is one of the most fundamental aspects of change. This is right here. This is, the, this is one of the most important things that you can learn tonight. People change not because they want to. People change because they need to. People become millionaires. Why? Because they work. Why do they work so hard? Because they need to. Not because they want to, uh, yeah, I'm sure, money will be nice. Why not? I'll have some money. No, obviously, this all is foolish, and it's foolish thought because everything comes from God. But people invest all that time because they need it. People go and they, they work hard because they need it. The, the need is what brings the change. The want doesn't necessarily bring the change. You want to become a better person? You have to not want it. You have to need it. You want to become religious? You have to need it. You want to become a better spouse? You have to need becoming a better spouse. Don't let it just go because, yeah, I want to. It'll be nice if it happens because that's not going to, that's not going to change. Another reason is, this is number six, is that people, when they change, they change based on expecting something to come back. I'll give you a simple example. They lose weight. Why do they lose weight? They want to be healthier. They want to be able to look better. They want to, and they think by changing weight, by changing their weight, they're going to become healthier. They're going to become better and better things are going to happen in their life. And when the better things don't happen, they're like, what am I doing this for? And you know what? And you just re- revert back to the way that you are before. This is so true in the spiritual world. How many people become religious thinking, you know what? I'm going to do something for God. God's going to do something. I scratch your back, God. You scratch my back. Right? And they become religious. They think, okay, now I'll get married. Now I'll have panasa. Now I'll have children. Now whatever it is, I'll have shalom. And, if, and when it doesn't happen, 
They're like, you know what, what do I need this for? Let me go back to what, to what it was before. So if you change based on expecting something else, that's not real change. Real change happens when you don't expect anything back. You change because you want it and not because you're anticipating anything back. I'll give you, uh, you know, another example is, uh, is that, you know, you have uh, um, a woman that's dating a guy. And, uh, you know, the guy, you know, she likes him and she, and the guy says, listen, um, you know, says something that a guy should never say. Says, you know, going to the gym every once in a while wouldn't hurt you. And, you know, so she obviously didn't see the red flags that are flying everywhere. And she's like, you know what? I really like this guy. Fine, I'll go to the gym. And she goes to the gym and she starts whatever, you know, she pays the fees and she, she goes whatever, however often she goes. Let's say it doesn't work out between them two. Is she going to continue in the gym? Most likely not. Why? Because it wasn't for me. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I need it. I did it for him and that's why I wanted, you know, to do it. So if you're basing your change on somebody else, it's not, you're not going to be able to change it. I said this before, I said this in the name, I heard this from Zechariah Wallstein. He explains the whole Humpty Dumpty story. If you heard it before, you know, it's always good to, you know, review this. You guys are familiar with Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat in a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's men, all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. This is a story that you read to your children, or some people read to their children. And you look, if you think about it, you're like, this is a very depressing story. Here's an egg that's sitting on a wall, he fell down, he cracked, no one could fix him. End of story. That's the end. Of, that's how you, t- you finish the story. At least it should have been something like, and everybody was able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And he went to live happily ever after with his egg wife and whatever. I don't know. And, and everything was was shalom alisad. But it doesn't end like that. It just ends that way. So Zachary Watson said, "It's brilliant. It's so amazing. Like he, this is like every time I just think of Humpty Dumpty, I'm like, this is it's just so awesome. Uh, because think of it. Look at it in this scenario. It says you want to know why nobody was able to put Humpty Dumpty back together together again? Because nobody can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Only Humpty Dumpty could put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Nobody can change you. Only you can change you. If you are changing because of somebody else, if you're changing for somebody else, that is not something that's going to change. You need to need it and you need to want it because you're doing it for yourself." There's a, another important concept to know that is uh, something called, you know, people always say, well, we know in Judaism there's something, I'll say a wrong translation of it, it's called fake it till you make it. Thank you. Which otherwise, you know, you do something, even though you don't want to change it yet, but you do it, you keep on doing it, eventually, you know, you'll want to do it. For example, you don't want to learn Torah. You're not interested in it. But if you start doing it, if you keep on doing it, it'll eventually stick and it'll eventually change and eventually you'll want to do it. Uh, it think of it as an idea like you don't like cottage cheese. The more you eat cottage cheese, eventually you start liking cottage cheese. So, um, that is still 100% true. You should still do it. If that's the only way you're going to do something, then go ahead, do it. Don't say, I'm not going to do it because I don't really want it. You should do it. But know that the real change happens is when you, want, not when you, when you need it and when you're actually going to be able to go and do it for yourself. The... Um, Rabbi Shimshin uh, Pincus explains like this. It says that, you know, there are some people that what they, uh, you know, what, why don't they change? Because they believe they can't change. This is the way I am, and, you know, this is, the, I, I can't. This is just, you know, love me for who I am. The worst line that any spouse could say for, to, to the spouse. Uh, you're there to become a better person. You're there to change. You're there to become, uh, you know, someone better. Obviously, the other spouse should love you for who you are, but don't use that as an excuse. I don't need to change. This is the way I am, and this is the way that I'm going to stay. The Rabbi Shimshin Pincus says like, says like this. He says that, that a person needs to believe that he is able to change. You are able to change every single thing about you, from your arrogance to your pride, to which is the same thing, uh, to, to your laziness, to your praying. Everything can be changed. You have to believe in yourself. You know, it's, it's a very simple you know, formula. If you think you cannot change, guess what? You cannot change. 
If you think you can change, guess what? You could change. If you think I'm not going to be able to learn an hour every single day, I'm not going to be able to. This is not possible. You're right. It's not going to be possible. But if you think that you are able to do it, then you are able to do it. Your perception in life plays a very important role uh, on your thing. Just like we were discussing before. It just plugs it right in. The, the um, Rabbi Yom Przanski brings down a story from Rabbi Zechariah Wallstein. And he says that, you know, there was once a uh, story about the, this uh, multi-million dollar lawsuit. Uh, not a lawsuit. I'm sorry, it was, a, it was a court case. There was a very, very high-powered, very wealthy politician that was accused of murder. The body was never found, but he was accused of murder. So, he hired, obviously, the most, you know, the best lawyer the money could buy. And the, the, so he hired the best defense lawyer. And everybody knew, like, he's walking in there, like, he's getting acquitted. There's, no one's going to be able to convict him. And uh, they go, and guess who comes up against him? It's like an entry-level prosecutor, fresh out of college, you know, coming in there. He's, like, nervous, doesn't know really anything, doesn't know the ropes yet. They're like, this is, a, this is a close case. This is like that, so this guy's walking. So the prosecutor gets up, and he starts delivering, you know, his, you know, his whole thing about how, you know, he murdered this young girl. This girl's never going to be able to have a family. She's never going to be able to contribute to society. Really, you know, you know, twisting the heart of the jury. And, uh, you know, the defense lawyer gets up and he says, listen, my, you know, the, you know, the person that who's, who's, uh, you know, over here, sitting over here, he's, he's a good person. He, you know, contributes to society. He's able, it's, he, he, you th- really think that he would do such a thing? He would never do such a thing. And he's saying like, he's such a good person, he wouldn't do it. And they're going back and forth. And finally, the, um, the, the prosecutor gets up and starts bringing up witnesses. Now, generally how it works with the witnesses is that you cross-examine. So the, the, the prosecutor comes up and says, uh, this is X, Y, and Z. This is what I have, uh, uh, to say about, uh, you know, about this. And then the defense, defense attorney, the defense lawyer will come up and be like, cross-examine. See what, you know, see what goes. This de- this defense attorney is sitting back, feet on the chair, and says, "No, I don't need to cross-examine anything." And everyone's like, "Wow!" They're like, all right, maybe it's one one witness after another witness, one testimony after another testimony. This guy is sitting back, not saying a peep. He's sitting back over here. Everybody's wondering. He's like, "What's this guy doing?" He's like, "Where's you know?" And he, who's wondering this the most? The guy who's paying it. Guy said, "He's like, yo, dude, why don't you not saying anything?" He's like, "Don't worry about this. I got this." And he's like, "All right, you know, what can I do? You know, he's paying him top dollar. He figures he knows what he's doing." The entire week. This defense attorney is sitting back on his chair, relaxing. They're bringing up testimony. This case is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Finally, they're about to, you know, you know, finish the case, and they all have to give their summation. So the prosecutor goes up, gives him all his whole summation. As you can see, you know, he's guilty, and gives him X, Y, and Z, all the reasons. Then the defense attorney gets up, and he says, you know, Your Honor, he says, you know that the rule is, in the law is in America, is in order to find somebody guilty, you have to find somebody guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. That is a requirement. And, uh, you know, I know that you, you're probably all wondering, says why I never didn't cross-examine anybody, why I was relaxing here for this entire, uh, this entire time. He says, very simple. He says, a week ago, I got a phone call from the girl, from the, from the, from the actual victim. And what happened was that she didn't like what was going on at home, so she ran away from home. She ran to Mexico. She called me. She heard that this guy is getting in on trial, so she called me. And she said, you know, she feels bad that this guy will get, uh, you know, you know, whatever sentence for something that he didn't do. So she said she's coming in here today. She's going to be here today at 4 o'clock. And the whole place is like, you know, mummering, you know, like, well, you know, all the whispering that's going back on. Be like, wow, we almost sentenced a, you know, innocent guy to prison. So the, the, it was 3 o'clock. The judge says, fine. Very well. If that's the case, then, court, then you know, case closed. Let's wait till 4 o'clock. So they wait till, till, um, till 4 o'clock. No one shows up. And he says, you know, give, give him another, you know, some time. 
4.30, suddenly the court courthouse opens, the, the courtroom opens, the door opens, everyone jumps up, crams in to see who it is, and, you know, it was just one of the stenographers, so I was like, ah, you know, I was like, ah, she's, no one cares about her. And she, you know, she walks in, and she sits down, and uh, uh, a half hour goes by, it's five o'clock, the judge says, listen, he says, I don't know what game you're trying to pull over here, she's not coming, he says, we're putting in the summation, we're putting in the, we're putting the jury to the side, uh, the thing, do you have any final words? So the, the defense attorney gets up and he says, yeah. As I said earlier, he says, in order to find somebody guilty, it has to be guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. He said, the entire courtroom, including you, my honor, was looking at the door the entire hour that he was supposed to come in. Which means is that you thought that he's going to come in. Which means, which I'm sorry, she, you thought she was going to come in. Which means is that you didn't believe that she was dead. Which means that you cannot find my client guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. And everyone was like, was like, he's worth his money. You know, this guy's good. And they are, so the jury goes and, you know, does his jury huddle and, uh, you know, goes to discuss what it's going to be. This guy, the guy was like, you know, you know, he's like fist bumping his other lawyer friends and like, yo, dude, that was awesome. That was sick. And, uh, um, they come out five minutes later. The jury looks at the judge and says, we find this man guilty. And everyone's like, what? You're finding this man guilty? He says, how is that possible? He says, beyond any reasonable doubt. So the, the lawyer, the defense attorney couldn't figure out. He says, how do you do that? So he comes and he, and he goes over to the guy over there in the jury and he says, how did you find the guilty? He says, says, didn't you hear my whole you know, speech? So he says, we did. He says, but it's all thanks to that woman over there sitting in the corner. She was the one who convinced us. So he walks over to the woman and says, I don't understand. He says, how did you find him guilty? So he said, it was very simple. He says, for the entire hour, everybody was looking at the door. He says, but I wasn't looking at the door. I was looking at the, at the, at the, at the person who was being charged with murder. I was looking exactly on him. What is that guy called? Well, I can't find the... Not the defendant. The... The, the, um, the terminology is slipping his mind. What? Everyone, okay. Well, whatever it is. The suspect. Whatever. No, yeah, the, the... I don't know. Whatever. The victim. Not victim. The plaintiff. I don't know. Whatever it is. My, my law terminology is slipping my mind. So anyways, everybody knows what we're talking about. She said, everybody was looking at the door. I was looking at him. I was looking at the guy over there, over there that, was, that was responsible for this, uh, for this whole place coming together. And... I noticed that not once did he look at the door. Now, even when the door was open, he didn't even turn around. He says, you want to know why he didn't turn around? Because he murdered her, and he knows that she's not going to turn around, because she's dead. And that's why we found him uh, guilty on all accounts. This is such a lesson. He says, this guy couldn't even believe himself to go and, and turn around and, and look at the door. This, you know, when we're coming on Rosh Hashanah, and we're coming on Rosh Hashanah, and, he, and we're saying to God, we're going to be better people. We're going to change. We're going to be good people. But if we don't even believe in ourselves, how is this going to stand in court in heaven? If it doesn't even stand in court over here, how is it supposed to understand in court in heaven? So what we have to do is we have to believe that we're going to be able to change. We have to believe that we have the ability to go and change ourselves to become better. Because if you don't, it's not going to happen. I'll tell you another story. There was once a guy, he was, uh, um, you know, he was... Uh, in, trying to get into, he was in the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, and he was going to be going to one of these elite units. And when he was going in there, they have to go through rigorous, crazy, crazy training. One of the things that, uh, you know, every, the way that they train them is that they take out of their vocabulary that there's, you know, that uh, um, the terminology that it's not possible. There's no such thing that's not possible. Anything is possible. In order to get in this elite unit, you have to be able to do anything. And they would push them to things beyond their limits to show them that anything is possible. So one test well, was, um, it was an obstacle course. It was a very simple obstacle course. It was a rope 20 feet high. The soldiers had to climb up and climb down. The only trick was you cannot use your feet or your body. You only have to use your hands. So you have to go, pull up your hands all the way. You have to touch the beam, and then you have to go back down. 
So um, this religious guy was going for, uh, you know, getting in uh, to get into this uh, into this elite unit. It was his turn to get up there. He goes up there. He was obviously well trained, well fit. He goes. He climbs up, taps the t- taps the, the the thing in the back, and he and he makes his way back down. Now the rule was that you cannot touch the ground until the commander says let go, which means is you have to stay dangling. In the minute, sometimes the commander will let you there for two minutes. You just have to hold on. And the commander was just sitting over there, and this guy's holding on. Meanwhile, he's starting to shake already because it's, it's very difficult to do this, uh, you know, this uh, this training. And he's sitting over there. Finally, the commander opens up his mouth. He's thinking he's going to say let go. But he tells him, he says, Otpam. Otpam means go up one more time. So in his mind, he's like, are you kidding me? He says, he says, but he can't say that because this is a part of... So he says, fine. So he starts making his way up. As he's making way up, his hands are starting to bleed from the rope friction. And he's like, his muscles, he's like, he's like shaking. And he gets, he gets like more than halfway up and his arms give way and he falls straight like, you know, down like 15 feet to the floor. He falls to the floor, hits his shoulders, you know, inside. He's screaming with pain, right? Uh, in Israeli, uh, you know, uh, the army, you don't, you don't, you know... There's no ouch. It's like everything's inside. So um, he's like withering in pain over here. The commander walks up over to him, looks down at him, withering in pain, and he goes over to him and he says, Otpam, one more time, get back up there. And in his mind, he's like, not possible. No, there's no way I can do it. I'm like, I'm, I'm sustaining here some sort of bruise on my shoulder. It could be a fracture. Who knows what it is? There's no way I can do it. But he knows he cannot say those words. I can't. He gets up over there and he looks at the rope. Meanwhile, he looks up the rope. It looks like it's 4,000 feet at this point in time. He's like, it's not possible. And he's like, he's like thinking this. He says, you know what? And he starts psyching himself out. He's like, I'm going to do it. And he's like putting everything that he got into it. He takes his hand up there and he goes up. And he starts going one hand out and he's like shaking. But every, he's doing it like step by step. And he's getting up there. He hits the top. He hits it. And he goes all the way back down. He said, back down there, he's sitting over there, he's shaking. And he's waiting for the commander. He says, if this commander tells him one more time, he says, I'm going to choke him with my bloody hands. He says, there's no way. And the commander says, enough. He gets out down over there, right? His arms are still shaking for the next, like, hour. And whatever, he gets into the, to the lead unit. But later he says, says, you know why? You know how, what lesson that taught me? That taught me such an important lesson that he brought into his religious life. He says, there's no such thing that you cannot do anything. You can do anything. Even if you think you cannot do it, you can do it. You just have to be able to put it in your mind that you have the ability to do it. You have to believe that you could do tshuva. You have to believe that you could become 100% religious. You have to believe that you're going to be able to be the best spouse. You have to believe that you're going to become the best person possible. And if you believe in that, then you'll be able to actually accomplish it. The, um, you know, one of the things that people usually say is like, you know, they say like, I've done so much bad. I, this, this really bothers me when people tell me this. I've done so much bad. I'm going to get home anyways. Like, whatever. What's the difference? Let me just, you know, live life as this. I'm like, that's so sad. That really is so sad to hear. Like, what, do you, what does that mean? First of all, you have to, people have to understand this. You have two scales. You have a good scale and you have a bad scale. If you do one good mitzvah and then you do a sin, they don't cancel each other out and you're like, okay, I'm back to zero. Two different, uh, you know, two different countings that you have over here. We have to realize that one thing, it doesn't have anything to do with other. And this comes very into play. Someone does a very bad sin. So they think, you know what? God doesn't want to see me in synagogue. I'm not going to go pray today. I'm not going to go learn today. I just did something so disgusting, so bad, so evil that I cannot go do anything religious. That is 100% wrong. After you do that, right away, jump on it. Go, of course, go do something religious. What does one thing have to do with another? Because you're a bad person, it's as if, because you know how, how it works. We're thinking in the human terminology. In the human terminology... We have, you know, the, uh, you know, the ability that we are, you know, we forget. So we think, you know, as time goes on, I forget how bad and evil and disgusting I was, and now I could go and become religious again. But God doesn't forget anything. Whether you did something 10 years ago, or whether you did something a second ago, it's just as fresh and open in front of God as it was before. 
just because you do something bad does not mean that you cannot do something good. And in fact, that's when you're supposed to do tshuva. You're supposed to repent right then, right after you did. Don't wait till Yom Kippur. Don't wait till Asad you made tshuva. Do tshuva right then and there. Who says you're going to remember it? Who says that you'll be able to you know, put it all together? You won't have the same feeling of guilt that you'll be able to go and get over that, uh, that hurdle. The, there's, there's also a well-known story. There was a very big rabbi. Um, it was actually a, a rabbi that went to a very big rabbi. He went to the Vilna Gaon. Why did he go to the Vilna Gaon? He once offended somebody. And he searched high and low for this person to go and apologize this, uh, to, to, you know, for, for the offense that he made for this person. And he couldn't find him. So much, it bothered this, this rabbi so much that he became ill. He was ill in bed because he couldn't go and ask forgiveness for the bad that he did to somebody else. So uh, the, this came in front of the building going, and the building going called him in. And he said, you know, if you do everything that you needed to do to find this person and apologize, everything that you needed to do, you, you, and I know you did, so you should know that God put it already in this guy's mind that he will forgive you. Because when you do everything that you need to do, God will take care of the rest. You have to do what you have to do. Don't think about it, it's not possible. All you have to do is start. And this is what we said in Shira Shirim, Rabbah. The Midrash says like this. It says, Pitchuli petach echad shel tshuva, kechuta shel machat. Open me, an opening of tshuva, like the opening of a needle. Opening of a needle is tiny. If you ever tried sewing, you know, it goes, you have to lick it and you have to shove. It's tiny, it's so minuscule to put it. God says, that's all I want you to open me, an opening for tshuva, just that tiny little hole. And I'm going to open the, this little hole so wide that wagons are going to be able to pass through with it. God is saying, all you need to do is just start it. Start it, I'll take care of the rest. I will be able to go and guide you through it. There's also a story that, uh, um, that uh, says that there was a guy who was uh, once religious and he you know, went off. And uh, he ended up marrying his like, college sweetheart and he ended up making some money. He ended up buying uh, you know, a house on the, on the beach. And he, he used to go and he'd sit there with his wife. He was not doing anything uh, religious. And one day he's sitting out there in the, in, you know, looking at the ocean and he goes and he says, uh, and he sees like a bunch of people, well-dressed people in suits, walking to the beach. And he's like, you know, that's obviously not the beach attire. Like, what are they doing walking in suits to the beach? And then he takes a closer look and he sees they're wearing a kippah. And he's like, like he gets a flashback to his religious days and he's like, they're probably doing tashlich. They're probably, you know, where they throw the yusins, you know, to the, to the fish. Don't, by the way, just a disclaimer, don't think that's all you have to do. You have to actually do tshuva. Throwing to, you know, to the fish to eat your sins is not a, is a, does not constitute as you're just clean. Like once a year, yeah, I just let my fish all my eat my sins and then I'm go back to the way I am. You actually have to do tshuva. Um, you know, you're laughing, but people actually, you know, think this way. So, uh, the, you know, I've, I've spoken to a guy who said, he says, um, why do I have to worry about my sins? It was Yom Kippur, just like recently. And I'm like, did you do anything on Yom Kippur? It's like, no, not really, but I'm saying Yom Kippur just cleans everything. Like, you probably get the same place of your information, the same place that the, the guy who says that fish is kosher, every fish is kosher from that. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, no, you have to do tshuva. But anyways, he goes, he sees all these people, um, you know, walking, walking down uh, to the, to the, what's it called, to the ocean. And he says, they're probably doing, they're probably doing tasha. So he goes and he decides he's going to go and, and he tells his wife, he says, listen, I have like this urge of spirituality. I need to, uh, I want to go with them. She starts laughing. He says, you haven't done anything spiritual in like 25 years. He's like, what are you going to do now? He says, no, nevertheless, I need to do it. And he goes and he starts, he, he jumps over them. He's still in his bathing suit. He goes and he starts running after them. Um, so they obviously see, a, you know, there's a bunch of guys, religious guys in suits walking to the, to, to, you know, to the beach. And they see one guy with shorts just like tagging along. So one guy walks over to him and be like, are, are you Jewish? So he says, uh, in fact, I am. So he says, do you want to maybe come and do Tashak with us? He says, yeah. He says, you know, I have a Sidu, I have some extra bread. Come, you'll share with me. Let me come in. So uh, they, they go in and they, um, 
they walk to the they walk to the to the beach. As they get to the as they get to the beach, he goes and uh, he starts. Uh, you know, he's about to open up his sidu, and there's you know there's a guy that taps him on his back, and he says he looks around and he says um, he says did you uh, um, did you hear shofar today? So he says no, I didn't hear shofar today. So he says you know what, my name is Moshi Katz. I'm a baltoka. Let me blow you the shofar. He says, look at this, two for two. I get two things Jewish one day. Why not? Let's go, let's do it. He goes, he does the, the shofar, and he says, um, he says, by the way, what's your name again? Uh, he didn't get his name. He says, oh, my name is Sam. He says, oh, I'm Moshi Katz. I'm the Baltuka. He says, nice to meet you. I mean, you just told me your name like 30 seconds ago, but all right, nice to meet you. And he goes, he does his tashach. He finishes the tashach. He does the whole thing. He says it slowly. Does the whole, uh, the whole uh, scenario. Closes the book. Gives it back. As he's walking, as he's walking back to his house, he gets another tap from his back. He turns around. It's a guy who blew the shofar. He says, by the way, I want to introduce you to somebody over here. And this guy's name is whatever, X, Y, and Z. He's the rabbi of the, of the community. And uh, this guy's name is Sam. And by the way, I'm Moshe Katz, the Baltukah. Baltukah, by the way, is the guy who blows. The guy who blows the shofar. So the guy says, this guy has something up with his name. Like, he's very obsessed with his name. So he says, all right, nice to meet you, Moshe Katz, Baltukah. And he go, finishes and keeps on going. So he goes on. And he goes to um, he goes to the uh, to his wife, and she's she's laughing at him. He's coming back with all these religious people. And, you know, he looks you know his shiny head is glimmering in the sunlight, his you know dark tan skin, uh, you know you know with his boxer shorts. He's going up there. She's laughing. She says, "So you feel Jewish? You feel good?" She says, "Actually, I do. I felt uh, pretty good about myself." So he says, um, "You know, very uh, you know." Very nice, uh, but uh, he says, you know, like something odd, something weird happened. It's like, what, you know, what was odd? She says, you know, there's a guy that kept on coming over to me, and he kept on saying, you know, like his name, Moshe Katz, about to like three times. Like this is the weirdest thing that I've ever seen. So she's like, did you just say his name was Moshe Katz, about to And he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh. and she like, gets very serious. Like, are you sure his name is Moshe Katz, about to And he's like. Is like this is like groundhog. He's like, what's going on with everybody? About yes, he told it to me three times. His name is Moshe Katz Baltaka. and she says, "Get on your clothes. We're going to the synagogue. I need to talk to this Moshe Katz Baltaka." At, at this point, everyone's calling. That's his name, Moshe Katz Baltaka. Like that's his like full on name. And so she gets up, and they start making the way. And and he's like, and so he first he tells her. He says, "Listen, he says I did enough Jewish things for one day. Can we do it tomorrow?" And she, you know, responds to him in a certain tone that he realizes if he knows what's good for him, he's getting dressed and he's going to the shul. So he gets dressed. He goes to shul. He gets it, and he, they, they go and they, they, they find the rabbi there, the, the rabbi, and they say, listen, is, is the Baltikam Moshe Katz, is he here? And she says, uh, you know, he's, he's not, but, you know, I'm giving a class now. He's going to come to pray for me in half. So as you hang around, I'll, I'll introduce you to him afterwards. So they said, uh, you know, fine, let's do it. You know, they waited. They ended up sitting for the shiul Torah. They actually start, were interested about it. They actually stayed for the prayers as well as Mincha. And then they, afterwards, it came Moshe Katz, and the rabbi introduced them. So the wife goes over to this Moshe Katz, and she says, is your name really Moshe Katz, and are you the Baltikam? And he says, indeed I am. He says, do you come from a certain town in Poland? And she said, mentioned the town. And he says, uh, well, my grandfather does come from there. And they start playing, you know, Jewish, uh, you know, geology, you know, like, well, you know, like, do you know this, you know this. It turns out that this is a distant cousin of hers. Her grandfather, the reason why she got so, like, you know, surprised by it, because her grandfather was Moshe Katz, and he was about to care. And he was like a religious guy. She's like, you know, I know, you know, and she started plugging the two together. And it turns out that they're distant cousins. And, you know, one thing led to another. Eventually, Moshe Katz and Baltikas started inviting him over for meals, and the rabbi started inviting him over for meals. Later, they became, you know, the daily, uh, you know, frequent, you know, members to the to the to the community to the shul, and they started actually going and, uh, um, you know, becoming a hundred percent observant. This is what God says: all you need to do is open for me a small hole, and then I will open up for you the world. You'll be all he did was just do one. Jewish thing. And then one thing after another, it triggered it. It triggered it, and he was able to go and continue to, um, 
to, to become completely uh, religious. Um, Mr. Azizov, is it okay if I have uh, about seven more minutes? Yeah? Okay. What? Okay. So, what? Oh, that's... Wait a minute. That's you. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought that was... A, it's fine? Okay, I just want to finish up the, the thought over here. Um, so, thank you for coming, by the way. It's a very, you know, excellent. For whoever, you know, I guess listening online... Um, how long are we going to be giving the class over here for? How long are you going to be doing it? No, no, I'm saying for how, how, many, how many weeks. Oh, we'll see how it goes. We're going to be teaching, yeah. learning how to read Hebrew, right? Yeah. So it's okay if I have a few more minutes yeah. to go? Okay, I apologize. <laughs> so, okay, so um, let's go very, very quickly through the final things on how to uh, succeed. I didn't get a picture. I like that. Um, so the, the, one of the things is that in order to be able to actually do, accomplish your change is you need to make a plan. And you need to make a plan. For example, you want to go and you want to lose weight. Let's just use that. You can't just say, I'm going to die and lose weight. No, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in 90 days. You put a plan that's something that's actionable to it. You know, one of the things that requirement for Chuvah, you have, you have to regret that you do this in. That people are able to do. But then part, the second part of it says Rabbeinu Yonah, and this is brought down by Shem Shem Pinkus, he says that your person has to, uh, one of, the, one of the parts of Shuvah is never committing the sin again. So that is a very difficult part, never committing the sin again. How are you able to do that? Just by saying, I'll never commit the sin again, that's not enough. That's not part of the, uh, you know, obviously Shuvah works in, in segments. You can do part, partial Shuvah also. But just saying, I'm never going to do it again, doesn't count. Says, Rav Shimshon Pikas, in order to do Shuvah, you actually have to put an action to it. You have to make a plan. I'm not going to do this sin again, X, Y, and Z. I do certain sins, I'm going to make sure that I don't fall back into these sins. How? By making my certain plans that I'm going to, I'm going to do. The, um, so it is very, very important to do. And Rabbi Saul Salanta says, you don't have to change your whole life. You have to start with something small. You have to start with something small. Obviously, if you're not religious, you know, Shabbat should be the number one thing that you're, you're going to be doing. Shabbat, kosher, all these, a bunch of things that you have, to, uh, you have to do. That's number one. Number two is, if you want change to happen, it's very simple to make it happen automatically. I'll give you very simple. Let's say you want to donate to, um, to, this, to, you know, to this great place, to this great synagogue. And you want to donate, but you know, what you want to, if you want to make sure that it always happens, make it come automatically from your credit card. Every month, $200 comes out automatically, or whatever it is that you decide, $2,000, I don't know, whatever we're talking about here. So whatever it is that you decide, automatically let it come out of your bank account. Even if it's $18, it doesn't matter what it is, but if it's automatic, so you're making the change easy. You're, you're making it happen. Another good example, you want to come learn Torah, get a study partner. Get, even if you're coming to a shul Torah, Get, come with somebody else. Why? Because you can each feed off each other. Be like, no, I'm too lazy, I don't want to go tonight. Be like, no, come on, I'm picking you up, you're going tonight. So when you have, it's basically creating accountability. When you create accountability, you have, you're more likely going to be able to succeed. I want to go a little bit fast now because we, uh, we have only a few more minutes. I want to finish up over here. The, this is something very important. This is something that people, and Rabshim Shimpinkas goes on and explains this. says, make the sin a big deal. Unfortunately, many people say, you know what? Forget about the sins that you did. Focus on from now on. How are you going to make sure that you don't fall again to a sin if you don't make the sin a big deal? Says Rav Shem Pikas, you have to make the sin a big deal. If you make a sin a big deal, you're not going to fall into the same sin again. There are many people that they do terrible, terrible sins. And they, they, they want to do tshuva, but they try, it's so bad, they don't want to bring that up in their memory, which is also a good idea, but you have to know how, how to present it. We don't have the time today to, to actually show you how to, how to uh, maneuver that. But they just push it in the back. If you just push it in the back, what makes you feel like you're not going to fall into it again? So, you know, there's certain people, they don't touch tequila. 
Why? Because they learned their lessons. Right? They've taken tequila, there's a little bit different number on them, and they, they learned a lesson. When do they start, when they forget what tequila did to them, then they drink tequila again, and then they remember why they haven't drank in a long time tequila. Now, if you don't keep on putting it in your mind how serious the sin is, what's gonna make, prevent you from falling into a, the same sin again? Rabbi Shimshon Pinkett says, you know, there's, uh, the, when you do a sin, people don't realize the power of a sin. When you're making a sin, it's avera, gorarat avera, says in Pirkei Avot, in the fourth chapter of Pirkei Avot, when you do one sin, it brings another sin. When you do a good deed, the same way, it brings another good deed, but if you do a sin and it's bringing another sin, and you're not making that sin so serious, it's just gonna make you fall in again. It's just gonna put you in, and it's gonna make you fall. The, um, you know, but at the same point in time, even though you're making it serious, we do have to know that don't be discouraged by it. Don't be like, the sin is so huge, I will never be able to overcome it. You have a mitzvah from the Torah that gives you an ability to do tshuva, which means is you have the ability to overcome it. There is another technique that he gives, and that is, on the flip side, make something a big deal. If you make something a big deal on the mitzvah side, you will know that it will, that will happen. I'll give you the example that he gives, which means is you say Shema Yisrael before you go to sleep. It says people are very tired, they have a long day, they're exhausted, they fall asleep and they just pass out. And they miss a mitzvah of saying Shema before you go to bed. He says that if you make this a big deal, you will be able to go and overcome, and, and make sure you go overcome it. It says that if you don't say Shema before you go to bed, it's as if you're sleeping in a non-Jewish bed. Who wants that? It's Shema, it doesn't take that long. You say it, you go, so if you make something a big deal, then you have the ability to overcome it. I give this example when I speak to men. A sin that is very, well, it's only to men. A sin that's very, that it's only to men. It's a sin of, of uh, wasting seed. And when people come over to me and they tell, and they tell me about it, what, you know, how they do it, I say, learn everything that you can about it. Learn, listen to these classes, write it up. Read this book, write it up. Because when you learn about it, you're making something, you'll be like, okay, it's not just whatever. You're making it very serious into you, and you won't be able to fall into it if you realize how serious it is and how severe it is. When you're learning about it, you invested so much about it, you have the ability to overcome it. So anything that you want to change, learn a lot about it. You want to become a healthier person? Learn about, I don't know, saturated fat. I don't know, I'm just saying words that, that read on top of the bottle. Right? You read about cholesterol. You, read, you learn about these things. You learn about how it clogs up your arteries, how it makes you unhealthy. You want to live a long life. You want to be able, you don't want to suffer from a heart attack, uh, you know, hyperlipidema, you know, anything that's, that's uh, hypertension. You don't want to deal with these things. So you learn about all these things and eventually you'll be able to go and get, uh, have the ability to, to uh, keep the change. There was once a guy, three minutes, four minutes, Five minutes. I see you smiling. So I, no, I'm just kidding. Um, not, not that much more. We're almost done. So, the um, there was once a a person that came over. Bring this uh, point into a short story. There was once a person that came over to a, uh, a class, and um, this the guy who's the lecturer, the lecturer, the lecturer, whatever errs, how many errs need to be in the guy who's speaking. Um, he comes inside. It's a big auditorium. Lecturer. One person is there. One person is there. That's it. And he's going, he's expecting a whole crowd. He sees one person that shows up. And he's thinking, he's like, you know what, we're here already. He goes, well, he says, let's learn. What are they going to learn? They learn the halakha of al-nitilatilayim. How to wash your hands in the morning. When you wake up in the morning, you have the obligation to wash your hands. How do you do it? You wake up in the morning, you pick, you pick up the cup with the right hand, you fill up the water, you pass it to the left hand, you pour in the right, and then you pour in the left, and you keep on alternating till that. And then you discuss the laws about it. Finish the, the, the short class that he gave with this one-on-one, and he left. Six years later, he gets invited back to the same synagogue. He comes to the same synagogue, and this guy comes in to after a lecture, very good, you know, guy with a beard, very religious, very respectable guy in the community. And he says, he says, do you remember me? He says, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know who you are. He says, six years ago you came and you gave a lecture to one guy over here about al He says, oh, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, you? He's like, what? He's like, he's like, he's like, yeah. He said, you should know. He says, when you came in, I was like, you know, what's al I'm not, I wasn't religious, but, but what can you do? You know, wash hands in the morning? I'll do that. And I started, and, the, and I started with that, and then it, and he says, today, I give a Gemara shir 
every single day. I give a shoot. He started from what? From washing his hands. From starting, because you open God a small hole, God is going to open up the world. God is going to be able to do. All you have to do is start. You have to, but how do you start? You have to need it. You have to need the change. You have to want it. I want to finish off with something completely scientific. This is a, um, this was a, um, I'll tell you who said it, Dr. Susan Weinschenk. Uh, she's, um, and this was uh, brought down in psychology today. Uh, she did a study on how to change your habits. And I'll, very briefly, I'll go through it. She says it's very simple, very easy to change your habits. Now, three basic steps. Number one, you have to pick a small action. Pick something small that you're going to be able to go and change. Uh, don't do something like, I'm going to get more exercise. You have to be something specific that you're able to do. You pick a small action that's specific. Uh, and then, she says that's number one. Number two, attach it to an action that you already do. For example, you want to do more exercise? You're already walking? Walk a little more. You walk to the office, take a longer route. So whatever you're doing, you're continuing it on, on your doing it. I'll give you an example on the flip side, on the religious side. You um, want to uh, become, you want to, learn, you want to listen to Shuatua. What do people do? People, they go on the train, you travel, we travel a lot. So you're constantly traveling, you're constantly putting on, what, what do people do? They listen to music so loud that I could listen to, I could hear everything that you're from the, it's, I'm like, how are you not deaf? You know, by, by, the, by the sheer volume that's going on in there. So anyways, you're speaking, you're doing, you're, you're dealing with uh, music, and, uh, you know, you, you, you know, whatever, you go travel. Make a thing, you're anyways putting the headphones in, for the first half hour, listen to Shotoa. Download Torah Anytime app, download whatever other app, I don't know, whatever the other app there is, that, that, you know, Judaism. Listen to something Jewish. For a half hour, you're doing it anyways, add it on to that. And number three, the final thing, is that you make it easy. Which means is, that even if it's a difficult thing, put like reminders everywhere. Because you don't remember what you wanted to change yesterday, what you wanted to change today. So make it easy, put it as a reminder, uh, you know, put sticky, you know, work more. You know, learn more to learn more, be a better person. Whatever it is that you're going to do, don't let your wife see that. You know, like, be a better spouse. Or maybe you should let your wife see that. Uh, be like, oh, maybe I should try being a better spouse also. In any case, um, the ability to change you have the ability to change. The reason we spoke about very briefly, and we're going to summarize, and going to end over here, that, you know, people don't change. Why don't they change? Because, for, well, a numerous reasons, listen to the whole hour class that we just went through. But the main point to think about, and this is the big takeaway, you want to change, make it that you need to change, not that you just want to change. And when you, you're doing it for yourself and for the right reasons, don't change based on somebody else. When you change for that reason, it's going to stick and it's going to last. All God asks is, all you need to open is a tiny little hole, like the size of a needle, and God's going to open it up that you can you know, fit wagons through it. It's going to be a tremendous amount of siyata dishmaya. All you got to do is start it. Mitzvah, go'arat mitzvah, and unfortunately on the flip side, avra, go'arat avra. All you got to do is start it. If you start it, you'll have a lot of siyata dishmaya, and God will help you. May we all become better people, may we all be able to change, and may we all come to Rosh Hashanah saying, you know what, God? I'm a new person. Here's the proof for it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.